Welcome to Vino Week, episode 65. Hit the button, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Vino 101, I'm Bill. Hey everybody, we're back, it's a new year, um, 2021. How are you feeling about that, Bill? Optimistic. There we go, me too. Optimistic. Get optimism going, man, I'm feeling yeah. pretty good. I yeah. tell you, um, uh, Ernest and Julio Gallo, E&J Gallo, they're definitely feeling optimistic. <laughs> They finally, uh, they finally were able to squeeze it through, and you know they only had to spend eight hundred ten million. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, because I think uh, originally when they were talking about this um, buying up all of this stuff for Constellation Brands, all of their uh, basically they brought all their low tier, um, their lower tier eleven dollar a bottle um, and under stuff. But I think uh, initially wasn't it going to be like one point seven. Yeah, uh, billion. It was going to be some crazy amount, but uh, they had to um, cut the deal down. They had to sell some of their stuff. Gallo had to sell some of their things, and the constellations had to sell some of their um, brands to another competitor also. And uh, they pulled it off. So now um, Gallo, EJ Gallo, um, makes thirty percent of all the bottle wine. That's produced in California. That's, that's a, a really large company. Yeah, I mean and, it's a, it's amazing actually. Yeah, and they don't and and they're and they're just don't you know the thing that I I got out of these articles. There's a couple of them that I sent to you. Yeah. Um, it's not so much that um, they you know they bought these these low low tier brands, but one of the things that that wasn't really um, pumped up in this article is. They're also buying um, physical properties, production facilities. So what this means is, you know, not only do they have brands, but they're increasing their capacity to produce more juice, which is a which is a, a is a pretty big deal. And they've been doing that for a while now. I remember um, this is years ago, going back. Remember when they bought the ASCII facility? I do. Yep, they bought that. Um, uh, with this uh, buy, I think they have acquired. Let's see. Let me make sure. I think they required they acquired the Franciscan facility, which is in um, which is a big facility in Saint Helena. And um, you know they're just they're just gobbling up these these big production facilities. And Gallup does a really good job when they do this. Like I remember, this is God. I got probably going on twenty years now. They bought uh, Louis Martini, which is probably one of the largest producers in St. Helena. Yeah, and that brand has just improved under their guidance. Under their guidance, I mean, those Martini wines are are, are great, and they've got um, the entry level for those Martini wines. I think is what 13, 14, 15 bucks a bottle, and then they have some pretty high end stuff. And don't forget that Gallo also bought um, up on Pritchard Hill. A pretty uh, prestigious area in Napa, um, just uh, directly east of uh, Saint Helena. They bought the Stagecoach Vineyards a few years ago, and that's 600 acres of just prime Cabernet. And uh, I think the whole ranch was probably, I think the ranch was twice that size, so they could they could add on. So they're gobbling up land and they're gobbling up production facilities. And uh, they're going to be a major force because when you when you if you command that much 
land and that much production, you get to set the price for the grapes to come out. A hundred percent. So um, the, the farmers, you know, uh, they're probably not too excited about this deal, but this deal is going to be really good for consumers because, you know, Gallo does a good job with all the properties and everything that they that they take care of. I mean, think of some of the some of the brands that Gallo has. Uh, Apothic, you see everywhere. They yep. have that brand. Uh, Jay Vineyards for uh, their bubbly, for their Pinot Noir. Um, I think Gallo owns, uh, yeah, Gallo owns Palmyre. You know, they do. Chardonnay, uh, you know, they're great reds. Uh, the lower brands, they got the Barefoot Cellars that they have, uh, Orange Swift. Uh, I mean, William Hill, which is a huge facility also. I mean, they just, they're, they're owning the wine world right now, and they're buying all in. And Constellations is like, we don't want anything to do with this. We're going to go upscale, and we're going to go into the marijuana business. And Constellations, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I think it's going to be a bust for them. I don't think they're going to be able to figure out the marijuana business because it's so cyclical and it's so up and down that they're, you know, they're not going to be able to figure it out, I don't think. But they're going to give it a go. Yeah. I, you know, there's so much uncertainty with regard to regulation and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I think if you want to dedicate some of your cash to try to figure that out, that might make sense. But, you know, it's going to be decades before that's figured out. That's my guess, or at least half a decade. I mean, it depends on, you know, there are, I believe there's legislation working through Congress about national legalization. Um, and that that could change some things, but for the most part, I I think that's crazy. Although they they have their phenol business, right? Which is not just it's other supplements, right? Um, so that you know that might work out. And there are, and this is not directly related to Gallo Constellation, but there are a number of wineries even around here who are experimenting with hemp, hemp crops. So uh, I'm excited about uh, the one brand that I'm excited about. Gallo getting a hold of again has been one of my favorite brands for forever. And it's been on hold because this Gallo thing is actually it's been a couple years since they've been trying to figure it out. So a lot of these these brands that they've taken over, they've kind of been in this like just limbo this state. Yeah. That and then we had the fires and you know, there's a lot of grapes that get picked. So it's just been kind of weird. But I'm really hoping that they can rejuvenate the Ravenswood. Yeah, it's so right? funny. That would have been my guess. Yeah. 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 And bring yeah. that back because, uh, yeah, that would be awesome. It'd be awesome if they brought uh, the winemaker back and just, I mean, it would be so cool. But I have I have personal fond experience, memories and experience with that. That was really the first winery that I went to um, shortly after I moved to California. Like, I remember um, – it was probably in the 90s going to Ravenswood. And it was during Crush. I had no idea what was going on. There's forklifts driving around. And there were a bunch of people there trying to help. And, man, it was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and I always liked their wine. I learned I like learned a, a lot about wine, just like drinking that wine and understanding Zinn, drinking Ravenswood Zinn, yeah. Well, that whole facility was just it was an awesome little setup. You go there, it's, a, it's just like perched on this little knoll. And it, yeah. Go in there and, you know, you'd be right. You'd literally be in there. You know, you know, a person would be like on top of the tank 
you know, working with the wine and you'd be like underneath them, like tasting the wine. It yeah. was like you were right there. It just had a plank. And it then was... if you walked out the door, you'd like walk into Joel Peterson's office. There he is. There's the winemaker. He's like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> it was awesome. The thing I like so much about it is how organic that experience felt. You know, it was just like, I like the wine. I got to go see it, you know, where it was made. And it was like, wow, this is cool. Um, good stuff. Yeah. I, and I had, it's funny. I didn't, you know, you expressed that and I was thinking about it and I'm like, ah, you know, that'd be cool if they brought that back. That was a good brand for a long time. Um, and the other brands that are noted out there, I think are, you know, are all, you know, Claude de Bois, Franciscan, Blackstone. You know, Blackstone Merlot, pick that up on the on the grocery store shelf and take it to a picnic or a barbecue, and it's going to be all all will be well. Everybody happy. Like, what is this wine? It's Merlot. Merlot? What is that? So, uh... no. And Mark West, yeah, I've been on the East Coast looking for a Pinot, and I'm like, I probably can't go wrong with a Mark West Pinot. Probably be all right. Yeah, that uh, that Ravenswood uh, winery actually was sold to um, I think that yeah. site. Uh, uh, to, it's owned uh, by the Mandabis. Yeah, the Mandabis now. but it's like a Mandabi. Um, uh, dang it, I can't remember the name now. But yeah, a couple of the daughters, I guess. That's right. That. Yeah. So uh, one of these articles out there and just seeing what they're doing. Sometime, you know, if I'm ever out there, I'll roll out there and just see what's going on. Man, I haven't here. been to Sonoma. In- like a couple of years. Yeah, you're, you're you're stuck in your house. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, things have become very local. Thank God I live in a town of food and wine and booze and. Hey, is is KNL still open? No idea. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Local. Local thing here, folks. Sorry about that. Yeah. Because yeah, I sometimes I go by. They're open. Sometimes I, I go by and it's like God. It's Saturday afternoon. There's it looks a little dark in there. Nobody. It's just weird. I don't know what's going on. Well, this is a great segue to the um um. You know, to the uh, where was it? Oh, the Washington Post um, op-ed that um, Alice Waters and um, um, Kwame on a I'm not I I won't even try to pronounce his last name. Me um, either. <laughs> um, I'm not going there. Um, I wish the little I wish the little uh, speaker button was there to play it so we could hear it. Um, but he's he's a well-known chef and a James Beard Award winner, and they they wrote they wrote an article about you know Joe Biden you know uh, doing what he needs to do to kind of help the the the, the food business, um, you know, really trying to help the restaurants. I have you know friends and family involved in that in that business, and you know you know shortly after California shut down. You know, for the run up to the holidays, man, it that really hit hard. There are a lot of people who are just out. Um, my nephew works for a restaurant, high volume restaurant, well known restaurant in L.A. in Venice, and they that restaurant's done. They're done. They just they just shut down. They're out. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how many other people are going to be in that boat. And I, you know, there are a lot of people out of work. I just don't, you know, I don't, you know, how are people making it? I mean, there's at least 25% of the population that rely on service businesses. And think about where we live, Alan, how many people are involved, how much of our economy is involved in that, not only in tourism, but, you know, um, food and beverage production. Man, 
It's it's uh, it's grim. It's going to get grim. Yeah, this this article they 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 line out a point. And they say that um, well, it's quoted in here that more than one um, hundred ten thousand U.S. restaurants have permanently closed since March. Oh, that's a- I'd say that's a conservative number. Just from, but you know, it might be, you know, I might have a little bit of a myopic viewpoint, but the last time I went to San Francisco, it's, it's, it's like, there, it's like that movie with Will Smith in it, you know, I Am Man or whatever, where yeah, he's yeah, yeah, going yeah. through the streets with his dog and, you know, yeah. there's like brush. It's dead. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing is open. It, it, if anybody wants to know what we're talking about, drive down and, to San Francisco or go to San Francisco and walk along Market Street from like 20th down to like 17th or 16th, which is usually packed with people on the sidewalks, teeming, you know, restaurants teeming with people, long wait times. It it looks like the apocalypse. There's homeless people all over the place. You know, restaurants have like, you know, a door open with a table. I walked into a restaurant that I, you know, a year ago I took a friend there and it was hard to even, you know, you know, wait times are like an hour and a half. I walked in, there was nobody, there wasn't anybody in there, you know, yeah. and, and food came in like 15 minutes. Like, I was like, what? Really? You know, the restaurateur, who I pretty soon was the owner, was like, well, don't even leave. We'll have it ready here. And all the restaurants, you know, they're wait, they're, you know, their serving areas are now converted into warehouses. There's, you know, paper towels and napkins and just you know dispensers everywhere it's scary yeah i don't know you know obviously i don't know what the answer is i just you know there's another um there's another article i sent you i mean well first of all the the idea that i mean come on look look at the plate you know just gonna dive off a little bit into politics here look at all the things that the new administration coming into will have to handle and i think that the the first thing and, I, and I've said this in previous podcasts, the remedy to all of this is to figure out a way to quell the COVID-19. Sure. Once you do that, everything else should go back works. to, yeah, it should yeah. just take care so of it to correct that, it. That's, that's going to be their focus, I believe. At least that's what the new administration says. That's going to be their focus. And, and, I, and if they have that laser focus, you know, all of this is going to work out because, hey, guess what? If, if I don't have to fear that I'm going to get something that could potentially kill me by going into a restaurant, I'm going in a restaurant. I like going out and dining. I do. I like having people yeah. wait and bring me food. Yeah. I love that. I have to clean up dishes, eat stuff, I, eat stuff I'm not going to make at home. You know, I mean, yeah. So it, it's going to work out. The problem is the logic is crazy. Okay. If the government's going to mandate, and you know, I'm probably repeating myself, but if the government is going to mandate that you close down your business, then the government has to help you keep your business, and that's what the problem is. And they're not, you know, um, there's a little article from the Eater in London where they're talking about the government banks. They're going to float money to these restaurants. They're they, closing they, down everything. And they're like, here's some money. And that's what they're doing in that's what they're doing in Italy. You know, yeah. your cafe is closed, but guess what? We're gonna send you money. You can pay for your employees. All they gotta worry about is being bored at the house. 
They can't go out. They got to worry about that, you know, boo-hoo, right? Yeah. But, you know, the way that our country's set up and the way that it's been handled, you know, you just can't cut people's knees off and give them no way to make money. That's why you have people that are like, they're just like openly breaking the rules yeah. because they got to eat. They have to. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, you're a business owner. You do feel some responsibility to your employees, at least, you know, most businesses that I've worked for. You know, have some semblance of like, you know, wow, my employees don't show up. I don't have a business. Right. Um, probably want to take care of those people. Make sure they're employed, you know. Um, and we're talking about small businesses too. These things are intimate. This isn't some, you know, it's giant corporation for the most part. These are people that live in your communities, contribute a lot across the board. Whether you're a, you're a, um, a, a bus person or, you know, picking up dirty dishes and cleaning dishes or, you know, you're the, the owner, you know, this isn't ginormous business. And to just leave those people in the lurch is really, really bad. Yeah. And we, we've all seen the lines for, for people that are lined up, you know, getting food in the car. We've all seen these lines in Houston, oh, yeah. and Arizona. I, I mean, this is not it's not make believe, man. Yeah, I saw it in my hometown at um, a day before Christmas. I live close to a um, the Veterans Center. They usually um, our Rotary. One of our we have two Rotary clubs in town. Funny enough, one of them actually does a holiday dinner every year. They didn't do it this year, so they packaged everything up in a box and handed them out through kind of like a drive-through. He was mm-hmm. gone. I went by there like three times because I was out walking the dog and myself, and you know it was nonstop from the morning till the night. Just lines of people getting getting food, yeah. And you know these are not you know these are not people. It's like oh, I just think I'll go get a box of food. These are no. people who need food. They need to eat. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's it's not you know the what I've heard about it and read about it. I read more than I've actually talked to anybody about it. It's like it was big this year, bigger than it has been. You know, in terms of the number of meals that they actually gave out. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. Well, let's uh, let's uh, let's turn on a happy note. And uh, a happy note for me is it is the holidays, and the wife and I have been drinking. I was gonna yeah, I was gonna ask you. Let's, let's start talking about what we're consuming. Yeah, we we've actually been drinking a lot of bubbly. So I do have I do have a few uh, bubblies that I'd like to just I'll just run through real quick. Please, please, let's let's hear it. I've got like, and, and these, you'll be familiar with all of these. <laughs> so these will, these will be, you know, I mean, well, actually there's one, that's a, there's one newbie, but you'll be familiar with most of these. And, uh, you know, the thing about it, what, what's interesting about this little, this little list of, of wines that I'm going to go through, or at least what I think is interesting is sometimes you just have, you have a wine and it's really good and you kind of forget about it. Sure. And then it's like, you know, you're in, you're, you'll be like in the wine store and you go, God, I haven't had that in a while. I'll try it. And then you have to try it and you're like, why did I stop drinking this? And it's just because you're always looking for like a newer, you know, the whole thing about the wine is about experiencing new things. So you're always looking for that new holy grail or something that's really interesting and really good that you like. And you kind of forget about some of your old favorites. So this is kind of an old favorite list. And the first is this one. This will bring back memories for you, Bill. Oh yes, yes. And this is um, it's uh, 
It's uh, Bella Vista. It's their Alma Grand Cuvée, and it's from um, it's from Franciacorta's from the northern region uh, of uh, Lombardia in uh, Italy. And we actually, um, <laughs> you know, this is like going down memory lane, dude. I think probably like four or five years ago, we were at a dinner with the owner of this winery. Very nice, yeah. And um, it was at, I think the restaurant's closed now. It was at the Risto Bar in the Marina District. That was Remember good. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget when I was there. I was, uh, you know, this is when I was just kind of learning Italian. So I knew a little bit. So I was sitting there trying to talk to the owner. And after hey. like about 30 seconds, we both realized, he's like, well, I thought this guy could speak Italian. And I'm like, I thought this guy could speak English. <laughs> it was a good moment. It was a good moment. In fact, we were very much outsiders there that night because we were not, we spoke no Italian. <laughs> it was so not awesome. in a bad way. It wasn't a bad way. It was just, you know, there, we definitely got on the inside of that and of something special there, but that was a special night. But uh, yeah, so I remember this wine. It's a, it's a great ball of wine. Um, I didn't remember. It's, it's predominantly, um, this is predominantly Chardonnay. And um, another thing that I remember about that night was, uh, and I didn't have it this year, is one um, that the guy that uh, actually owns that restaurant, um, he has um, uh, Gary Ruley. He has a place in the, air, in the airport. I haven't been to the airport forever. But he has a little uh, uh, a bar in the, um, in the airport, San Francisco airport. And they have this wine, and they have. Uh, but he, what he he, he makes oh, this uh, incredible panettone, oh. which is uh, yeah, you know yeah. an, a, it's an Italian uh, special Italian cake that's um, seeded with um, um, dried candies, and you know, it's kind of it's like, kind of like fruit cake, kind of. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I, I, no. <laughs> but I mean fruit. I mean fruit cake in the tradition of it. It can have some dried fruit. And it's typically served during the holidays. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Because a fruitcake is more like a, you know, not, I'm, I'm, it's like a paperweight. It's a, you know, it's yeah, not, it's, it's not like that. It's, it's the Italian version of that. No, I just talked about that with somebody, interestingly enough, from Peru today, that that's what they do at Christmas. They drink hot chocolate and have panettone. Um, there you go. <laughs> so it triggered my, like, holiday fruitcake thing. Um, so anyway, um, one of the things that's happening now, um, uh, with the wine world is uh, during the holidays, there were some really awesome values because everyone's trying to get their market share. And going back to the, the restaurant analogy with you saying, um, with you saying restaurants really having a hard time with things getting shut down right before Christmas. I mean, I can remember working in restaurants and I can remember owning restaurants and December was by far our biggest month for sales. And I mean, sometimes, you know, depending on what the restaurant was, I mean, I've worked at restaurants where probably, you know, 40, 50% of your sales could be done in that one month of December. That's how busy it is. That's insane. You know, and then to have that month taken gone. away. Gone. Gone. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. But anyway, I got this from Bottle Barn. Uh, I don't know how they do it, but this was. Uh, it's 20 bucks, $20 bottle, but anywhere else in the United States, it's like 30 bucks. So I don't, I'm not sure how they pulled that off, but like a fool, I didn't buy a whole bunch of it. 
I just bought, I just have a few extra balls, but I did enjoy it. So that's a blast from the past. Uh, the next bottle is, uh, can you see that one? Yes. Okay, this is called, um, it's, it's called uh, a Cremant de Jura, and it's uh, from the cellars of Marcel Cavalier. And uh, that's my, that's C-A-B-E-L-I-E-R. My French is not that great, but uh, Jura is a region that is, um, it's sandwiched between Burgundy, uh, which is um, the, e the east, the central east um, side of France. It's sandwiched between uh, the region of Burgundy and um, Switzerland, and it's a kind of a little mountainous area. And what and uh, what they're really known for is um, is a wine uh, called Jura, um, uh, uh, which is a still wine that is actually uh, aged in barrels, and it's allowed to develop a floor. I won't go into details, but it's slightly oxidized. It's called Vinjon. It's like a yellow wine, and it's really uh, it's an acquired taste. But this is uh, through talking to some people on. Um, some of my Twitter friends, I found out this is my first uh, Cremant de Jura. I have so many friends, Bill, so many friends. <laughs> I'm sure. But, uh, uh, a guy turned me on to this, not this bottle, but another bottle. I couldn't find it, but I did find this. And this is probably the best bottle of bubbly I had all year. Really? It's fantastic. So, did um, it's, it's got that toasty, uh, rich, uh, honey brioche thing going on. Uh, the wife loved it, man. She huh. loved it. Yeah. So it, it's all it's all Chardonnay, uh, or actually it's ninety percent Chardonnay, and I think it's got a little bit of Pinot Noir, like ten percent Pinot Noir. But it's done like a uh, it's done like Champagne would be done, but it can't be called Champagne because it's not from the Champagne region. And they just um, they hand harvest the grapes, uh, they uh, ferment them in stainless steel tanks. Um, which makes the base wine, and then they pour it in the bottle. They add a little sugar to the bottle, and it goes under a second fermentation. And uh, it spends 12 months in the bottle. It's ready to uh, They disgorge it so. and uh, age it in the cellar for a little bit longer, and then it's out. And it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's, one, it's one of the best bottles of bubbly I had all year long. It's so, really good. Um, it's uh, 20 bucks. Substitute the word uh, cremant for champagne. And there you have the difference. Uh, I long often wondered what, why, what a cremant was. Was it a special type of bubbly or no? It's just a, a bubbly that's not made in the, in the uh, Champagne region of France, as far as I understand. That's correct. That's correct. Which brings me to our third one. Drinking a lot of bubbly, buddy. I like you it. Love you love this one. I can't see the label very well. It's washed out. Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's another Cremant, right? Um, from from where? From uh, this is uh, Cremant. This is Cremant d'Alsace. That's from from Alsace region, yeah. So that um, I've taken um, that very um, bottle, not that not that specific bottle, obviously, but from that producer in Magnums, often for Thanksgiving to people's houses, and it's always a yeah. huge hit. Um, this is the rosé that I'm not sure that I've had. Okay, so this has got a little bit. 100 percent. 
Uh, it's uh, I think it's all Pinot Noir. Okay. Yeah. And, but uh, but rose it, it's one hundred percent Pinot Noir, but it's it's all it's super fruity. Yeah, and but it's, it's got a, more body than the, than the Chardonnay version. Yeah, but but, uh, but a rose no, of that though, a, a Cremant rose. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's got to be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's re- it's re- it's it's really good, and it's um I want to say it, at it, the at the barn, it's cheap. I, I say it was like sixteen bucks. Yeah. Yeah, like the Magnum, the Magnum's like thirty-five bucks or something. I'm sure it's much more. It might be a little more now, but it it's such a great thing to take, and it you know. Yeah, who it, doesn't did, like a Magnum? Good. Well, did anybody you know? Did anybody who had that that you that rosé not like it? <laughs> you know. So, that's, uh, so I'll, I'll just post a picture of of all these bottles, uh, but yeah, I'm going good. through like. Um, um, the Bella Vista, obviously, you know, is a favorite that I've had, um, and the and the the Lagner is. I mean, come on. I mean, I always have that stuff around. So um, the other one is. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. This is great. Time. It's like suspense. What's next? <laughs> well, you'll you'll be familiar with this one too. You've seen you've seen this one a number of times. Oh yeah. Yeah, remember that's a that? one. Yeah, one gill, and I don't remember the varietal. In fact, yeah, is, I think I might have. This uh, is from Pumilla. Yeah, and it's near um, uh, Murcia yeah. in uh, Spain. It's a Spanish yeah. wine. Is it Rioja? No. Pumilla. It's J U M I L L A, and it's one uh, gill. The 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 G's G I yeah. That was like a one gill gill. On heel. Um, but um, yeah, it's and it's a silver 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 label. So this is their um, their entry level. They make higher uh, price point wines. But uh, this wine is fantastic, and I I like you know I like Monastrol anyway. But I mean it's planted on limestone, and you can it's got that minerality to it. Um, really dark um, dark fruit. Um, it's thirteen dollars, man. I was gonna say it's really good deal for the. Yeah, it's, it's I remember $13. being asked, and yeah. it hasn't it hasn't changed a lick. It's just as I mean, I started. I haven't had a bottle of this probably probably for six or seven years. Yeah, and I just like ah, I'll give that a try again. It's, I probably have one in my cellar that I haven't opened and for quite a while. So that it was really. Um, um, I have to go. I'll have to go check it out. But I do remember that wine being an exceptional value for the quality of the wine. All right, moving along. And this is uh, um, the Heel Family Estates again. Huh. This is called the Blue Gray. This is my discovery for um, November. I discovered this in November, and uh, this is uh, this wine is uh, it's it's forty five percent Garnacha. 30% Carignan, 25% Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, it's it's got it's it's made in a super modern style, so it's a it's a, it's from Priorat, hmm. um, which is in Spain, and uh, so it's got the old gnarly gnarly vines um, that are um, they're not irrigated, and uh, it's just it's all uh, bright. It's brighter fruit like uh, red fruit, like cherries and strawberries, but it's got a a nice little dose of uh, vanilla and spiciness to it, and um, you uh, would really 
like this bottle, Bill. You really like this bottle. <laughs> Um, and what's nice about it is it's got some age on it. It's a 2015. Uh, um, the Juan Gil was a 2017. This is a 2015. At the barn is where you got at that? At the barn, yeah. yeah. So it's got a little age on it. Um, you know how you know you like a bottle? Is it when you look at your recycling and you see several more bottles of the same type? Yeah, well, that's... That's yeah. how I tell. That's a clue. <laughs> that's a clue. So that was that one's, uh, that's a winner. And uh, all of these bottles, by the way, they're all under twenty bucks. So um, I think that's the new. Uh, but they're they're all they're all worth. Some of them are actually worth a little bit more. I think you know, they probably drink. Stuff. They probably drink uh, like their you know premium wines or super premium one over twenty, you know, twenty five. I mean, I'd imagine. So this one's got. This is the last one because I could keep going on and on. But this is a Gigandas, and you know I love that area. Yes. Um, there's a little backstory behind this. Um, I got a, I, there's a few people that I recommend wines to, and, um, this was recommended to me by a person that I recommend wines to. Oh, cool. <laughs> Which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's at the 20 buck uh, price point. It's got the standard stuff that the Gigandas has. It's got the fancy embossed Gigandas label, really a uh, very distinctive bottle. Uh, pretty simple uh, label. The vineyard is Le Espalier, E-S-P-A-L-I-E-R-S. Um, I didn't know when I first tried this, um, and uh, when I when I first tried it, it was super shy. I, I opened it up and I was like, eh, man, you know, it tastes like just like yeah. you know, it, it, there wasn't anything. There, there was no aromas. It was closed. There was nothing coming out of the glass. Huh. Um, so I just let it sit around. I came back to about an hour and a half later. Bam! Just got to give us some air, buddy. Just got to give us some air. Fantastic bottle. I mean, everything there. It's got that, it, well, first of all, it's got a deep ruby color. But really, um, the, the nose is just uh, all black fruit, uh, black olives, uh, just dark spice. But it's very, very, it's a very elegant wine. And... Uh, I mean, I just, I love it. Um, one of the things I found out about this wine was it's made by the guy that owns another winery that actually happens to be one of my favorite wineries in oh, that interesting. area. It's owned by um, Eric Bonet. And huh. Bonet is, um, he owns Domaine Bastide Saint Dominique. And um, I don't have one of those bottles here, but I buy uh, the Domaine Bastide. I buy their. Uh, Cote de Rhone every year uh, without fail. I'm like, I that, those Cote de Rhone that you can buy, you know, like I have some uh, Bastide Cote de Rhone from like 2013, 2012. They're made so well and they have so, so much strength that usually Cote de Rhone, you, know, you want to drink it in the first two or three years after you buy it. Typically. They're, they, they stand the test of time. So you can lose one in your cellar. And, and get a nice surprise. That's interesting. And say the winemaker again. I'm uh, sure we've talked about that. Eric Bonet. Just sounds familiar. So, um, yeah. So this is, uh, and this is done, um, this is a super clean version. Gigandas can be, um, you know, the winemaking for that area has really become super, super modern. So this is done all in stainless steel. It's, it's fermented in stainless steel. And I think it's aged in stainless steel, and a small, a little small portion is raised in um, your your basic uh, uh, 50 gallon barrels. But 
they're barrels that have been used before. And it's unfined and it's unfiltered. And you can see that when you actually... Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. It's got, a little, uh, it's got a little junk in the bottom. I think it's probably a natural product. But a great bottle, 20 bucks. You can drink it now. You can drink it 10 years from now. And you're going to be happy if you like aged wine. So when you say modern, modern techniques, what is not modern techniques? Or uh, modern, actually, modern production? For Gigandas, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a distinction between how they make the wines. Typically in Gigandas, they made the wines, they're done in concrete tanks. And they're raised in con- concrete tanks, period. And they're not, they, they never ever even, even really see, see wood. But it's, it's unusual to see them done in stainless, you know, done in stainless steel. It's kind of a California, Australia, you know, Bordeaux type of thing, but you know, yeah, they're just uh, it's it's done. It's a it's a super. I guess what I'm saying is it's a super clean wine. So if you're looking for that um, with a lot of uh, Gigandas Cote d'Iron, you can get that. Um, they call it Garrique, but uh, what it is is um, it's like that you're standing in a field of hay and herbs and lavender and all. You get that. You don't get that so much with this wine. Hmm. It's definitely a little cleaner, a little newer. It doesn't have all the good It doesn't have that. So that's my French lesson for today. No, it's all, all good. Back, yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, so that's uh, those are my bottles. I'll, um, I'll I'll line them up and take a photo of them. And um, if you want to find out more about them, these are all really easy to find for the most part. Um, the 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 silver label one one heel is everywhere. Um, the Gigandas, I would imagine, is I don't I don't think they make a whole bunch of that. I'm gonna think probably not. Um, and the, um, the Lagner Cremant is everywhere. And the Bella Vista um, Franticorta, if you're in Italy, it's like in every cafe. <laughs> I don't know how that guy does it. Wow. Everywhere. It's got some good salespeople. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's it's all over the place, man. So, That's interesting. Yeah, but and 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 the, the Cremant uh, de Jura, that's probably gonna be pretty hard to find. But you can find it. But you just probably not gonna be in your hometown, that type of thing. So that's what I got. What you been drinking, man? You know, we're we're surviving on hop water here. Um, <laughs> okay. Pretty much. You know, the hop water. I'm so surprised. Shocking. In fact, I'm I'm like manufacturing now. So I'm back, back. I'm back. Like man, I could probably do that myself. Um, I've had two really awesome pilsners over the holidays. Um, uh, so the first one is, uh, and I've had a lot of beers from this brewery. Um, and I, man, they're uh, I, I they're pricey, and I like them. And I first found them at Whole Foods. So if you have a Whole Foods, you might be able to find this. Um, although they will sell out, I found they sell out. And it's a uh, the brewery's called Laughing Monk, and they're right off of Third Street. Third uh, Street and Egger, I think, is the cross street. They're on Egger in the city. You know, you can't go in or anything, but you can call and buy beer there. Um, they uh, they have a uh, a pilsner called Holy Ghost, which I think I've talked about before. But they made a pilsner called um, Intermission, and uh, I, it's the uh, they call it a reserve pilsner. I don't know what that means. But this pilsner is a pretty true to type pilsner in terms of the, you know, clean, clean, crisp, 
you know, dry, grassy, and it's got a little bit of floral. Very easy to drink. Um, really nice carbonation on it. And it is one of those beers that you finish and you're like, is there any more of that left? They also come in pint cans, but both the beers I'm going to talk about come in pint cans as opposed to 12 ounces. So you get four in a, in a, you don't get a six pack, you get a four pack. So I feel like I'm back in Europe where I can have my two pints of beer, proper pints of beer and get my alcohol ration in for the day. Um, the other beer that I found that I, um, man, I can't say enough good stuff about it. It's from a brewery here in Sonoma County. Um, called Old Cas, Old Casadero, Old Cas, which mm-hmm. is in in Rohnert Park, like stuffed in a warehouse district. It's called Bukovani Pivo. So if you uh, Bukovani is actually a city outside of Pilsen in in Czechoslovakia, and Pivo is the word is the Czech word for beer. And it turns out that um, the owner or the brewer of uh, Old Cas is grandparents used to own a, a pub um, in Bukovani and so the beer is named after that if you've ever um, if you've ever been to Europe and been to Czechoslovakia or in Eastern Europe and had a um, a beer called Budvar which is surprising it looks like Budweiser on the label and uh, um, this beer tastes to me a lot like Budvar which is you know, ultimately one of my favorite beers, um, made with noble hops, you know, five, one, uh, ABV and not very bitter 27 IBUs, but it's really, it, it's got a really smooth, creamy, um, malty flavor in addition to the Pilsner notes of, you know, still having that nice effervescence and Mm -hmm. not, you know, even a little bit of haziness in that beer, but man, it's really easy to drink. And yet another beer that just wants you, you know, like, wow, that was good. I'll have another one. Um, I, I, you probably will have to find it somewhere. Um, I mean, order it from the brewery if you're interested in it. it they're not a huge production uh, brewery, but man, I, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's a crazy beer. It's just so it's so reminiscent of beers that I had when I was in Europe, Pilsners that I had in Europe that I, you know, I'll keep prattling on about it, but good stuff. And so that's really, you know, what I've got. Um, um, in terms of wine, we have a local producer here that, that we know well. And so that's small vines. Um, we've been drinking a lot of their Pinot and Chardonnay and man, there isn't a bad, they're a small producer, care a lot about what they put in their bottles and you know how they you know how they raise their fruit and make their wine and you're really not if you find one of their bottles and open it it's not you're not going to have a bad experience no matter what it is so um can't say enough about that so and what are their wines true to type pinot noir russian river valley pinot noir and true to type russian river valley chardonnay um the styles can range based on what what um uh, paul sloan who is the owner and winemaker will paul and his wife, um, you know, Paul will, based on what the, you know, kind of the, what he's getting from the crop and from the vineyard will tailor, you know, those two varietals to what, you know, what he can deliver in the glass. And so, um, he's had some, um, interesting mentors. Um, I'm blanking on, uh, one of them's name, but you know, he, his, you, if you've tasted his wines throughout time, you can just tell the elevation of his winemaking skill is just really, you know, continuing to increase and really getting to become a master of, 
getting out of the um, getting in that class what he wants. So um, it's great. It's a very you know it's a family run business, and it's just great to be part of that you know part of that you, you know part of that family, if you will. Um, Small vines wines. So when you, I, I'm gonna uh, go back. I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit. So when you're talking about, you said Pivo, right? Pivo, P-I-V-O, Bukovani Pivo. There's a term you mentioned. You said uh, you said 27 IBU. Explain to our listeners um, oh what IBUs are. <laughs> um, IBU stands for International Bitterness Unit, and it is a description um, um, of it's a measurement actually of how bitter the beer is. Um, and the higher, um, there's a scale for these things and it's really trying to quantify the bitter taste in the beer and your IPAs tend to have a higher IBU than your Pilsners and your lagers. Um, typically, and I don't probably a good, uh, a good one to think about, um, I think about it in those terms as sort of there are, you know, it with an IPA um, uh, or an ale versus a lager, the 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 ales are typically going to have more bitter, you know, more bitter characteristic and higher IBU than the pilsner, and that's probably good enough for right now. You can get pretty complicated and technical on the IBU um, and what it means, but that's um, that's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, it can get kind of skewed because you can get into like, especially if you're doing like a stout. A stout could have some high IBUs, but it doesn't really taste bitter because it's malted. You know? Yeah, well, that's so. true. So like English, so, you know, typically American lagers will run between 8 and 12 IBUs. So if you're drinking a um, a Bud Light or a Budweiser, that's kind of where that, that you know, that bitterness is going to rank. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and and like I had mentioned, that Pilsner, um, you know, which is a essentially a lager. Um, there, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, will debate whether or not that's true. But it, it it's twenty seven IBUs, so it's you know, it's a little bit more than that lager beer, that American light lager beer that you're going to have. If you have a traditional, what they call a traditional English bitter, that's about thirty to four IP, IBUs, and then. IPAs, as I was saying, have a are very actually very bitter, and they're in the sixty to eighty IBU range. And if you keep going up, double or imperial IPAs tend to be even higher, eighty to one hundred IBUs. Um, I don't know what Pliny the Elder or Pliny the Younger are, but one of the things that is most interesting about those beers are they do have a fairly high IBU, but you the bitterness is very is very integrated into the beer. So it's not like drinking a English bitter. Um I and it it's, it has a lot to do with how that beer finishes, in my opinion. Um next time we we cast, they are for the first time in Russian River history, bottling Pliny the Elder. So, um, we'll, if you're interested in Pliny the, I'm uh, sorry, Pliny the Younger. So, um, Pliny the Younger is won the American Beer Award competition for decades and known as probably one of the best beers made. Um, if you're a beer fan, I highly recommend go checking it out. I will try to procure some, and I will bring a more in-depth report about this in the next podcast. Well, I like that uh, out in the field discovery bill. Good job. <laughs> Taking care of business. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, the, um, you know, that whole thing about um, the IBUs, I think, is, is really interesting. And, and I guess, you know, it's all part of how you make the beer. I know that, you know, the hops, hops are... The hops are added pretty early on in the boil, right? It so, depend it depends on what you're you know it depends on what style you're going after. I mean one of the things that is most interesting to me or what I like about beer, especially when you make it, is the cycle time is so short and if you mess it up you can just start again. <laughs> you know, you're talking two to three weeks you know, of cycle time versus a couple of years, you know, for right, wine. Right. Yeah, for a wine or something. Plus the permutations and combinations that you can legally put in a beer are almost an their order of magnitude um larger than you can put in wine. So oh, sure. yeah. And so that's, you know, one of the things I'm um interested in. The um I I can go in depth on IBUs from this fine book. Um mm-hmm. There's a uh, a man named Byron Birch who wrote wrote one of the seminal books on brewing your own beer. Um, shortly after that became, uh, I would say, more popular, kind of in the 70s and 80s. He's ba- they were, this uh, this author is actually based out of Sonoma County, so it's not surprising that the amount of breweries that have popped up around here are in some ways attributed to the beer culture that has been in Sonoma County for quite a while, mostly through home brewers. Um, and you can, if you want to make beer, wine, or cheese, go check out the beverage people. They have everything you need. Um, and, um, we'll help you, uh, do it. And if you're really interested in making beer, I highly recommend getting this book. It's, it will, it is a step-by-step guide on how to make it. And What's if you, the name of that book again? it's called brewing quality beers. One quality beers. Yeah. So and they make kits so another, and stuff. Another they question make for kits. you. Are you, uh, you don't have a still or anything in, in downstairs? Or you don't no have still, still yet. Here. No still yet. Although we've, okay, talk, right, we've talked about it. <laughs> I, you know, the revenuers are out. I, you out. can, uh, in California, you can make 10 gallons of whiskey a year. Oh, yeah, you can, you can, yeah, yeah you can, I'll, I'll double check on that. But yeah, there's a, there, the law says that you can make so much beer and so much wine and so much alcohol. Here I was joking around and you, you've already got the, you've already got the deal on that. Well, I thought about it. I met a, I met a person, I don't know, probably 10 years ago at an, at an event I was at for work and he was handing out, um, shots of this liquor he had and uh it was if you've ever had a a a lemon drop which is a uh like a shot that they make this thing tasted like a lemon drop and lo and behold what he had done he he had a bunch of meyer lemon trees in his house so he fermented the meyer lemons and distilled them into this liquor and holy smokes it was like you know it was like um well if you've ever had a grain alcohol or moonshine um, it was like lemon flavored moonshine. Man, you can't drink a lot of that stuff, but damn, it was good. Sounds um, good. The yeah. wife is the closest we can get to doing anything like that. The wife is um, doing some. Uh, she's making some limoncello this year. Nice. So we're, nice, dude. Nice. We got. We probably got two hundred lemons off of our tree at least. That's awesome. We. I mean, we did two harvests. It was crazy. It's like, what do we do all these lemons? And what's really interesting about beer is how, how, you know, you have some success with it and you just like, well, you know, if I just had this one more piece of equipment, 
mm-hmm. my life yeah. would be easy. And it's it's funny. It's the same thing just, with the home winemaker. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, people should know it's wines made all over the United States, and actually, you you know, people think you need a bunch of gear to do it. You need some things, but you honestly, you know, uh, you know, our, our ancestors, you know, fermented what they had, um, you know, be it you know boysenberries, raspberries, grapes, whatever. Would turn that into wine or other types of alcohol, and you can do it yourself. And it's quite if you have any interest in it. I don't know. I get a lot of satisfaction after uncapping a, a beer, uncorking a bottle of wine that I made. It's pretty cool. Not you know, not trying to make a business out of it, which I think would ruin everything. But yeah, it's certainly a lot of it's very kick in the pants. Um, won't dissuade me from trying to grow hops. Hops used to grow here, so why not grow some of my own hops? Um, it's good stuff. All of this beer talk is um, uh, the whole time that we're talking about this. I'm just thinking about a Racer Five right now. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. An iconic, I got a simple taste, man. An iconic beer. <laughs> everyone's got to wash their clothes, man. Right? Like everyone's got to get a haircut. Speaking of haircuts, Bill, it's been a while, huh? Well, I don't have much hair anymore, so I'm not. You know, I just stick some like product and mash it down. I'm good. Hey, you know what? I can't talk either, man. The haircut is just not happening right now. Okay. Well, what I like to tell my sons is, you don't need a haircut. I got a, I got a clipper. Number two, you man. <laughs> you can put your little Zoom picture up. You'll be fine. Go. You look good. And they got, you know, they got hairlines that run. You know, yeah, they, they can do they, a number two. And it, plus, their hair grows a lot faster too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whatever you mess up, it's gonna be in like yeah, three be or four fine. days. It's no big. Yeah. I do a number two in like three weeks. I'll be like, maybe I should just do the Kojak. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kelly Savalas. <laughs> Gotta love it. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, well, let's yeah. end on that note. Hey, thanks everyone for listening. Hey, Bill, how do they get a hold of us? That's right. You can always hit us up at info at Vino One Hundred One. Leave a comment on our blog. You can like us on our Facebook page. If you want to talk to Al and have a conversation with his many Twitter friends, you can reach him at, at twitter.com slash vino101. And if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell somebody. All right, Bill. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. <laughs>